right? Is that Eric? Yeah, that's Eric. He's been coming through like that on my screen for a while. Oh. All right. Hey, welcome once again, Talking Fans Fight, to another Friday episode of uh, the show. And today we are talking about the upcoming Olympics uh, featuring Christian from the Friday Night Panel. And uh, what news do you bring us today, Christian? Well, we've been talking, you know, most of this week has been kind of taken up with whether or not we were going to have an Olympic Games, uh, which kind of brought us away from what we were hoping to talk about a little earlier on, which was uh, the some of the economics of the Games and how uh, how some of these athletes make their money. Um, this game being a, a particularly challenging one just because of where everything's been shifted around. So one of the things that we were looking at was an example from the last couple of sets of games. Um, so we were looking today at, uh, at the Rio games, and uh, I found an article that uh, came out just before the, uh, the games in Rio. And it was uh, by a company called Sports Management Hub, and they uh, specialize in sports management uh, degrees. Uh, now, this was written a little bit about the economics, and it takes largely into account the, uh, the U.S. system, but it kind of goes to show the, where some of this money is either both coming from and how they're spending it, at least in one of the more developed nations, uh, you know, Olympic um, systems and, you know, in their, in their development pools across a number of sports here. So I thought this was interesting and worth looking into. Starting next week, uh, starting Monday, we're going to start looking a little less broadly at the games as a whole and start focusing, you know, bringing it a little closer into uh, our, our interest, obviously, which is boxing. Um, but I thought we would close out this one here just to uh, something we were going to talk about earlier in the week that we didn't really get a chance to. So uh, I wanted to talk. Uh, let's uh, Let's jump right in with that on how athletes make their money. Okay. Helps. There we go. Please do, because I didn't think they did. Well, they don't all. Yes, here. So here. So we all know that famous and professional athletes can make a great deal of money. Um, yes. You know, sometimes even more one after they're retired. Uh, you know, for example, you know, Michael Jordan's obviously the big example. You know, over ten over a course of ten years, uh, he made over ninety million dollars. Uh, which is more than all of the athletes at Sochi 2014 made uh, combined and more than every other professional athlete individually. That's everyone, of course, except for boxer Floyd Mayweather, who uh, earned at least $80 million, uh, possibly more in uh, just one fight. And that was the uh, Canelo Alvarez fight in 2013. Uh, he also fought Robert uh, the Ghost uh, Guerrero in 2013, earning at least $32 million. And that was a guaranteed $32 million for that fight, and that was excluding pay-per-view fees. However, Olympic athletes are typically you know, nowhere near as fortunate. Uh, in fact, the IOC, International Olympic Committee, doesn't pay athletes a cent for their Olympic uh, appearances. Athletes have to fund their own way, either from their own pockets or through other means. So we're going to look today a little bit at how some of those have done just that um, and raised that money. Uh, Gold is always going to be the goal here, uh, that gold medal. Uh, and there's reasons for that. So how are these guys funding their Olympic dreams? Um, you know, one of these ways is out of their own pocket. According to uh, bankrate.com, the five richest American Olympians at the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, uh, excluding professional athletes such as NHL uh, hockey players who would have been there. Um, you're looking at guys like Sean White, who was a snowboarder, who brought in $20 million dollars from various endorsements and his majority share of the Aaron style competitive snowboard event. Uh, Alpine skier Bodie Miller uh, brought home $8 million in endorsement deals. 
alpine skier Ted Lighty, $2 million in endorsement deals uh, and prize money from competitions and founding his own uh, uh, optics company uh, for ski goggles, sunglasses, and helmets called Shred Optics. Snowboarder Hannah Tedder uh, made a million dollars from sponsors and uh, founding ownership in an underwear line called Sweet Cheeks. And finally, you know, snowboarder Lindsay uh, Jacobolis uh, made a million dollars in endorsement deals and sponsorships. So, you know, there's a bit of a trend, at least in uh, you know, on the snowboarding and skiing side of things. Uh, you know, but keep in mind, let's, you know, we're talking Winter Olympics at that point in time. Um, this also doesn't mean that these athletes, so even though they're making all that doesn't mean that they actually paid their, their own way to the Olympics either. So how other Olympic hopefuls are making a living um, who aren't necessarily as entrepreneurial or don't have those uh, opportunities. Um, first, I think it's important to understand a little bit about the history of lifting the amateur status, I think, uh, for Olympic events. In 1971, the IOC removed the requirement of being an amateur. That is, athletes could receive compensation sponsorship from national and uh, sporting organizations, as well as private business for the first time. Now, this held the Americans at the time in a bit of a disadvantage uh, as they were competing against athletes from certain countries who were being like sponsored by their, by their own governments, uh, most notably, of course, being the Soviets at the time. Uh, and this was because in the, under the American model, Olympic athletes still had to be amateurs with no payment whatsoever until 1978. Uh, whereupon the Ted Stevens Olympic Amateur Sports Act was adopted. Uh, at that point, U.S. Olympic athletes could then get various funding sources, such as you know financial awards, sponsorships, or out-and-out payment. In 1986, uh, athletes, uh, professional athletes, could compete in every Olympic sport. And uh, by 1998, the Ted Stevens Act uh, was expanded to include Paralympics as well. Since then. Athletes have some, sometimes will have corporate sponsors, which is going to be different than an endorsement deal. Okay, so U.S. corporations might spend millions a year sponsoring an entire team instead of one individual athlete. As a result, uh, team members are going to end up wearing, you know, logos on their clothing, accessories, and gear. Uh, for example, uh, American Olympian swimmer uh, Ryan Lochte. Uh, was estimated at getting somewhere about $2.3 million from uh, multiple sponsors in 2012. And that was dependent on his medal performance in London. You know, he brought home two gold, two silver, and a bronze that year. Um, there's also some money uh, from the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee uh, and other sources, of course. The U.S. This is interesting. The U.S. Olympic Committee made over $625 million annually between 2005 and 2008 from just the US only broadcast rights. Additional 120 million annually coming from US corporate sponsors. Now out of that money, the US Olympic Committee pays athletes medal bonuses. Um, now, this is where gold's the, uh, the idea here. $25,000 for a gold medal, 15,000 for a silver and 10,000 for a bronze. Uh, those rates have stayed the same for some time now, so they are kind of devaluing a little bit because of inflation, but you know, still there. Special funds such as the Living the Dream Medal Fund uh, were set up in, uh, for Olympic wrestlers with prizes of $250,000 for a gold medal, $50,000 for silver, and $25,000 for a bronze. Uh, USA Swimming pulls in over $100 million annually 
from registration fees from about 300,000 members, uh, members who are on the national team and that rank 16th or higher are paid $3,000 a month. Um, in 2011, USA Swimming paid out $7 million uh, to team swimmers. Uh, and they also do pay stipends to college athletes as well. But given that there's a number, you know, a limited number of medals at any Olympics, winter or summer, and many thousands more athletes, not everyone, of course, is going to be fortunate enough to get one of these sponsorships or endorsements or medal bonuses for that matter. Um, and they may not necessarily have the funds uh, or be entrepreneurial like uh, some of our earlier people we mentioned. In some countries, Olympic hopefuls are going to be sponsored by their governments or special programs. Uh, but in the U.S., they're not. Uh, you know, they're still getting funded by, you know, friends and family, sponsored by local businesses, uh, funding at the community level, uh, which, you know, break down, you know, church bake sales, that sort of thing. Some larger American uh, companies uh, are partnering with uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee and participate in what's known as the long term uh the OJOP, the Olympic Job Opportunities Program, uh, where they'll pay full-time salaries and benefits to athletes, but allow them to work part-time to accommodate their training. Um, but athletes do have to maintain a certain ranking within their sport uh, in order to be accepted to and to stay on a program like that. Um, as well, the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee is providing funds to the national governing bodies for each sport. Uh, but typically, this is just going to be to cover the costs of, you know, technology as well as shipping equipment overseas, uh, equipment and athletes overseas, I should say. Uh, there are also various foundations uh, backed by corporations that give out uh, grants to athletes, uh, albeit not just Olympic hopefuls. Um, there's the Ross Powers Foundation, for example, that has given out over 266 grants uh, and valued just under valued at just under a half million dollars so far, uh, with 129 recipients since 2002. Uh, a dozen of these have been Olympic competitors. Um, there's also opportunities uh, in the other world sporting competitions uh, that have prize money attached to it. Although this is going to involve you being in the top 10 in any given sport. Uh, for example, uh, Jack Wickens of uh, Track and Field USA Foundation uh, Board of Directors evaluated the income available in, in that uh, discipline uh, and found the following that income is really going to be dependent on what you're competing in. Uh, sprints and marathons are going to make you the most money, for example. And about 20% of the top 10 American track and field athletes, only 20% make over $50,000 annually. Less than $15,000 annually is about what 50% of track and field athletes who rank in the top 10 in the U.S. Uh, can expect. And this is from all sources, sponsorships, grant, money, prizes, anything. Anything below the top 10, uh, you're not bringing home any income in the U.S. Uh, from your sporting activity. Top 10 runners in the world in this sport can earn over $100,000 a year annually, while the top two guys are doing considerably better than that. Uh, runners in the 11 to 25 uh, positions around the world you know, can expect anywhere from ten dollars to $60,000 annually. Um, that's either doing moderately well in a given year or poorly kind of thing. You know, all other runners below that ranking 25 uh, globally tend to have day jobs. You know, top uh, triathletes can make anywhere from 50 dollars to $100,000, uh, with a couple notable examples making over a million, i.e. Chrissy Wellington and Chris McCormack. Uh, you know, but the rest might top out at $20,000 a year. And those who don't get sponsored or get hired under the, uh, the OJOP, that uh, job program, uh, or compete in other athletic events, 
typically have to hold down other jobs that give them some flexibility to train, you know, including, but, you know, not limited to being, you know, physical type of work uh, where they're going to be doing things like, you know, coaching, fitness instructors, golf club staff. Um, Though some end up doing odd jobs at uh, seasonal events. Uh, for example, the snowboarder Tyler Jewell. He was selling sausages at a state fair in, in Mexico, in New Mexico, uh, you know, among other gigs. And, you know, he pointed out at the time, you know, it's difficult to have a full-time job when training sessions are running five hours a day every day. Um, so there's, a, you know, I'll give you an idea. Some American athletes have been doing, you know, who are Olympians, American Olympians are doing to keep a roof over their head. Uh, Gwen Jorgensen, who's a triathlete, is an accountant by day, works for Ernst & Young. Uh, Dennis Bauhauser, pentathlon, is, is an Army specialist. Uh, Jared Freyer, Olympic wrestler, is, uh, you know, is a coach and a teacher on top of his own training schedule. Uh, Lance Brooks, discus thrower, he's a construction worker. Uh, you know, Jasmine Philanter, pardon me, bobsled driver, uh, is a dog walker works odd jobs in the food industry and is also getting financial aid through her community and uh, sponsorship from Liberty Mutual Insurance. So she's got to pull from a lot of different places. Uh, you know, we've health researchers, we've got motion graphics designers, uh, plumbers, you know, so people cutting into really every line of work on top of these, you know, five, six hour training schedules every single day. So these people have, they're giving up their entire lives in essence to try to put together this money in order to get themselves to an Olympic Games. Um, you know, a, a waiter, Tyler Fletcher, who's a Nordic combined skier, says it costs him $20,000 a year just to compete in his sport. Uh, you know, still others have part-time jobs or, you know, live with their parents or other family to cut down on costs. Some athletes have university scholarships, uh, but these aren't going to cover the costs of making it to something like the Olympics. Uh, unfortunately, the cost of being an athlete aspiring to be in the Olympics is also going to include, uh, you know, not just yourself, but coaches, trainers, medical expenses, equipment, travel, uh, you know, not to mention just, you know, your day to day expenses, keeping a roof over your head. In the past, athletes have uh, you know, subsisted on food stamps and sharing rent with roommates. Uh, a great example of that would be uh, Steve Prefontaine, who was a runner in the 70s, uh, very famous. Uh, before the 1972 Olympics, you know, before the rules for athletes changed uh, with athletes not accepting endorsements, um, others were holding fundraisers, auctioning themselves off as celebrity dates or sometimes for sponsorships. Other athletes uh, were a little bit more extreme. Um, a, a Tongan loser by the name of uh, Fuheya Semi, again, I apologize on the name, changed his name to Bruno Bananai which was also the name of the German underwear and swimsuit company that now sponsors him. So some of these athletes are going to extreme uh, kind, of, kind of extreme measures to find a way to keep themselves in their sport. Uh, so the, you know, the, the thing that really comes to my mind and, and makes me start to question is how, how are these funds being allocated? When we look at the, you know, $630 million annually, $120 million annually uh, from sponsorship deals, uh, that are coming in. How do you feel, Graham, about the disbursement of those funds when we're looking at, you know, $25,000 for a gold medal? But, uh, you know, if you're in Pool B, for example, you know, you're not the top 10, nothing. You're not getting anything. Uh, no sponsorship, no travel. How do you feel about the distribution of wealth on, wealth on this one? That is a controversial subject. 
It's a um, bit all over the map. I know the, the, the numbers I just threw at you there, but. Uh. Let, let, I'll just put it into a, a bit of a personal perspective. Uh, after the Sydney games, I think that was 20, 2000. That was 2000, yeah. Um, uh, I happen to know the, the Canadian beach volleyballers who got the bronze medal. Uh, I think it was uh, Heath and Child. Anyway, anyway um, I, as a friend uh, and as a marketing guy, I was raising money for them through sponsorships. And when I first met them, even though they were bronze medalists and, 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 and competing around the world at that time uh, and, and winning lots of competitions as well, uh, their only sponsor was actually coffee time, uh, a coffee shop, a national coffee shop, okay? So I said, oh, well, that, that's a good start. I mean, you guys must be making a lot of money from that sponsorship. They go, yeah, we get free coffee. <laughs> so, so it, I, you know, uh, and they, they went on to tell me how much money, for example, the Americans uh, were making uh, at the exact same level of competition. <laughs> but here were our guys getting free coffee and uh, the Americans literally uh, driving up in limos. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's, it's a tough one because uh, the economics of each country will dictate driven, I think, by uh, corporate Well, policies. that bronze would have been worth 10000 if they were American. Just for that podium uh, placement would have been a $10,000 bonus if they had been Americans. Correct. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not at all sure how, how much, if any, uh, the Canadian uh, Olympic organization <laughs> gave them. <laughs> based, on, based on our conversations, I don't think they got anything. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry to laugh. It wasn't funny. Uh, well, it was funny. It is funny. Uh, but I mean, there's so there's different levels of uh, why athletes do what they do, and and uh, I don't think money is the driving force for for many of them, or else otherwise, Child and Heath would not have competed in in that Olympics at all if it wasn't fun. I mean, it was fun for them, and they had a lot of fun playing not only beach volleyball but also traveling the world, uh, and and being reimbursed for those travel expenses without doubt, but not being paid personally. I think they they had a small amount of money they got uh, as a monthly stipend uh, for being as part part of the Olympic team, uh, but not for, not for winning. Well, that would only be because they're at the very top of their game too. And uh, right near the top of their sport, as you know, as we saw a little earlier there, you know, you, you've got to be in that top 10 and top 20 globally to kind of see yes. anything uh, from, from any yeah. of these people here. But it also shows a bit of, uh, of a, uh, a lesson in economic advantage as well. Yes. Uh, where if you are in that top 16, for example, uh, in, you know, in, in your, in your sport and you're, and you're seeing, you know, even three, you know, $3,000 a month, that's paying your rent. You know, that's making sure you're fed. That's giving you the time to not have to go to work. That's giving you the time to devote yourself, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally to the training regimen. Um, cause as, as much of a toll as it is on your body, it's, it's also a, a massive toll, uh, most emotionally and, uh, and mentally for these athletes too. uh, training, uh, getting closer to the Olympic games, not just the stress of whether or not it's going to happen and what that actual, uh, competition is going to look like, but just the, you know, the hours you have to keep the, uh, the lack of time you get to spend with friends and family, uh, and just the personal sacrifices you have to make to be at the top of your level. Uh, the top of your game, uh, the mental and emotional stress is, is through the roof as well. So having a stipend where you can actually stay home 
and you know and devote yourself entirely to that training process or at least most of your time to that training process would be a huge benefit compared to these people who are uh, and i mentioned uh, the one person there who's working three different jobs and still has uh sponsorship it's a it's a great discussion uh because uh, how do you define amateur uh, when there are when you're being paid factors, right when, when there are these other factors they include compensation, reimbursement, and uh, incentives. Uh, you know, uh, but you, going back to an earlier point that you'd made at the beginning of this episode, you had mentioned how much money professionals were paid by comparison. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, I'm pretty sure uh, the highest paid professional athletes, though, are the European footballers. Uh, I'm pretty sure Messi and those fellas are in the 100 million a year range. And I, I'd be curious to know how much your boy Brady makes, actually. Uh, okay, well, first off, he's in Tampa now, and I don't want to talk yeah, about that. I know. I know. He's not my boy I mean, anymore. He left. I, I'm just kind of curious uh, how much uh, top-ranked U.S. Uh, quarterbacks make. Uh, I'm pretty sure they would be well in excess of whatever you quoted Michael Jordan was making over that 10-year period. Was it $100 million? So that's $10 million a year? Uh, yeah, so, that was that was that was just on endorsement deals. Oh, yeah, that 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 figure for uh, for him was strictly endorsement deals. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, uh, just for, uh, Brady though uh, uh, did uh, he's on a two year contract right now worth fifty million. A year? Uh, no, the contract over two years is fifty million. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. I'm sure. And I'm sure he's going to get paid a lot more when they win the Super Bowl. Not bad for a guy in his 40s uh, who, you know, most guys don't make it to his age in that game. It's true enough. And, uh, but he, he's, uh, he's truly a great player. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and he started off and he started off. You never know where you're going to end up. That's another thing these amateur sports has uh, taught us. You never know where you're going to end up. Uh, a fun Brady fact you may not know. Did you know that in 1995 he was drafted 507th overall by the Montreal Expos? <laughs> wow that is a fun fact I before he that. before he was throwing footballs he was throwing baseballs and uh yeah tom brady was actually drafted uh in the 95 season uh by the montreal expos that's amazing good one yep uh, i know you have to run so we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up uh thanks very much for for present pre uh, making that presentation on the funding uh with respect to the olympics and what these athletes are going through um in order to get yeah. to where they are. Uh, that's great, great stuff. And I look we'll forward to it. We'll chat a little later week. on this evening, yeah. Oh, yes, we're on tonight. It is it's Friday. Friday. It is Friday. Friday. So I, I will see you. Uh, I'll see you again at 7 tonight. Awesome. We'll see you then. And I do believe we have uh, Zahir Rahim joining us tonight, actually. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. Question. We'll have some questions for him. I'll see you then. Talk soon. Like, share, subscribe. Bye.